What's up, church? Good morning. Actually, it just turned afternoon. Good afternoon. Awesome. I'm excited. Are you guys ready? As you just heard Beth say, if you're new with us here today, my name is Pete. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor, and sitting beside me is my beautiful bride of 18 years, my very best friend, the mother of my children, and my partner not only in life, but also in ministry. Kelly, it is so good to have you on the stage with me. Thanks. It's so good to be here. Thank you guys for letting us take this time this morning to be able to minister to you. We're so excited about what God's got today. Been a couple years. It has been. Probably yes. a little bit too long. Yes, he I was agree. afraid to give me a mic. No, just kidding, just kidding. Are you He's ready like, to you do can this? sing. He's like, you can sing, but I'm not gonna let you talk. No, just kidding. He does. He doesn't say that. No, I'm ready. Are you ready? I am definitely ready. Question is, are you guys ready? Ready. Let's go. Do it. Ready or not, because I don't think any everybody responded there. So, ready or not, we're, <laughs> we're gonna going. go here. We're starting we're a brand new series, as you just heard Beth, Pastor Beth say. And if you're new to church, you're like, what's a series? Here at Life Church Buffalo, we like to do a collection of talks. We will spend anywhere from three to as much as eight weeks on, you know, a general topic or maybe it might be a character in the Bible or a passage or a book of the Bible. And we'll park there for a few weeks and look at what God's word has to say about that topic and then figure out how we apply it to our lives. And as you just heard Pastor Beth say, we're, the series we're starting today is called King of Hearts. What in the world do we mean by that? We're not talking about the playing card, King of Hearts. This is not a series about cards or gambling. We're talking about something very different. And at this time of the year, in the month of February, much of the focus and attention in our culture turns to romance. You know, Valentine's Day, in case you weren't aware, is only a couple days away. So this is your friendly reminder, guys, if you haven't yet planned or purchased anything for your significant other that you're quickly running out of time to do that. And so I've got to make a mental note myself uh, to take care of that this week. I just need cake. Well, that makes it Eileen's, easy. Eileen's is closed cake on Mondays. Cake is its own love so. language for Kelly. And so <laughs> I will stop by Eileen's Bakery on Tuesday oh. because they're closed on Monday to buy her a cake. Good job. Good job. Great job. But so much of the focus and attention and conversation around this time of the year turns to matters of the heart and romantic relationships. And for many people in our culture, we are largely driven by what our hearts want. Whether that be love or pleasure or money or power, something is sitting on the throne of your heart. Something or someone is the king of your heart. And a truth I want to present to you today as we kick this series off, and if you're taking notes, I would really encourage you to write this down. The king of your heart determines the course of your life. The king of your heart determines the course of your life. That's kind of the big theme, big idea of this whole series. Yeah, whatever direction that your life is headed in right now, whatever it is that you're pursuing, that's a direct reflection of what is seated on the throne of your heart. And you'll serve the king that's on the throne of your heart. So for each of us, that looks a little bit different. For some of us, it might be our career. It might be our children. It might be a relationship. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that you have just held that relationship as the number one thing, and all of your decisions flow from what that person thinks, feels, and wants. Maybe it's your appearance. Maybe it's the pursuit of a name for yourself and fame. 
Maybe it's the pursuit of wealth and possessions. Maybe that's the thing that you're really striving for, and you filter your decisions based off of how much money you can make and how much wealth you can accumulate. For some of us, maybe it's fear or anxiety that is dictating the things that we do, and that's what is ruling our hearts right now. Whatever that sits on the throne of your heart, you're going to serve it. That's why what Pete just said is so important. The king of your heart determines the course of your life. So who you're serving and who sits there matters. But we as Jesus followers, there's really only one person that should be on the throne of our hearts as Jesus followers. And that is Jesus. And so what does it look like for Jesus to really sit on the throne of our hearts? Because for some of you, that might even be an interesting concept of like, all right, my heart is a throne and Jesus is the king of it. We have to really unpack what that looks like. We do, because I think a lot of times, especially in postmodern culture, especially here in the West and in America, I find that the majority of Christians are completely comfortable and okay with the idea of Jesus being their savior. The church for the last several decades has really focused heavily on Jesus as Savior. They've embraced the idea that he died to save them from the penalty of their sins and provide them with eternal life. And they're all great for that. But some of those same people maybe get their feathers ruffled a little bit or get a little bit stiff in the spine if you ask them the question like, but is he also the Lord of your life? Is he the ruler of everything in your life? Have you oriented your entire life around the lordship of Jesus? Are all of your relationships defined by the lordship of Jesus? Do you see your money as your own or as belonging to the king? And he has given you the responsibility and the privilege of stewarding his resources for his purposes. Another truth that I want to give to you today, and I would encourage you to write this one down as well. Knowing Jesus as Savior changes your eternity. But knowing Jesus as Lord changes how you live here and now. I am so grateful that he is my Savior. I'm so grateful that he has saved me from my sin. But he is and wants to be so much more than that to us. And we in the church have to regain a proper view and understanding of Jesus as Lord and King. Let me share a couple of verses with you to illustrate this. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, writes this in Ephesians 1, 20-22. God exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every rule and authority, above every power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under the feet of Jesus. So I want you to get this picture in your mind right now, that Jesus is right now sitting on a throne in heaven at the right hand of his father as the preeminent sovereign ruler and king of the entire universe. And in John's vision of heaven, he saw Jesus sitting on that throne. And he wrote down and described what he saw in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, when he said, He, Jesus, has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. And that name is this, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This new series is going to explore what it looks like For us as Jesus followers to live lives surrendered and submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Because he is the king above all kings and the Lord above all lords.
He's the king of everything. The question is this, though. Is he the king of your heart? Is he the king of my heart? Because the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. We are to revere or set aside or see Jesus as Lord of our hearts. We are to put him on that throne in our hearts. We are to see him as the king of our hearts, a king who has all authority. Yeah, I love this imagery of Jesus as king. And uh, I imagine like a throne room. And so as you were talking, Pete, and even as you were preparing, I got this picture in my mind of like me bowing before a king, King Jesus. And when I do that, what I am expressing is that he has total authority and that I am submitted to him. So if he's the king of my heart, that means that he has all authority over all things heart-related for me. My mind, my will, my emotions, my desires. So what does that mean for us then as believers? And for me personally, it means that my desires are submitted to him. My passions are submitted to him. My dreams are submitted to him. My aspirations are submitted to him. How I interact with people needs to reflect who he is as my authority. And I am submitted to him. It's my life for his purpose in all things. So that's what it is. We are submitted to him and to his authority. It's my life for his purpose in all things, including in our marriages. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today, is what does a marriage look like when the people in it have Jesus as the king of their hearts? Because it matters and it does change things. I want to remind us all that we are first his before we are anybody else's. So we enter into a season of marriage and I might say that Pete belongs to me and I'm his. But before I am a wife, I'm first a daughter of the king. I first belong to him. So I answer to Jesus first before I answer to my husband because I'm first his. So all of us, we belong to him before we belong to anybody else. So if we're going to talk about marriage today, we want to share just a little bit with you about us. Um, Pete and I have been married almost 18 years. We'll be celebrating 18 years in May. I can't believe I've gotten to have 18 years with you. Um, we've been together 19, and it has been quite the wild ride, and I still can't believe I get to be married to you. Aren't you lucky? I am lucky. I am. <laughs> I've given birth to two boys. We have two boys. Um, they're ages 12 and 13, but they're taller than I am. I'm now the shortest person in our family, officially. Uh, we get to be foster parents uh, to a 15-year-old boy who's brought so much joy to our home. He's awesome. Um, I met Pete for the first time when I was about 13, and I had the biggest crush on him. He doesn't remember meeting me, but I don't hold that against him. <laughs> it's okay. I'm like, I know you don't remember it, but that's fine. Um, I was this smitten 13-year-old girl. And then uh, as adults, our paths crossed again. And here we are uh, 19 years later from that point. And uh, it has been a beautiful journey that God has had us on. But gosh, a lot has changed over the course of our marriage in the last 18 years. And I'd have to say that actually when I look back at the beginning of our marriage, I'm reminded at what God uses marriage for, and that's to change us and to shape us and make us look more like him. Uh, when I think of who I was when we first got married, I was so insecure. 
Um, I got married. I thought I was a secure and confident young woman at 24. I wasn't. I got married, and all of the insecurities that I had came out. I'm sure there were days when Pete was like, who did I marry, and who is she? Um, there, were, there was jealousy that came out of me after we got married that I didn't know was there. Um, I was a little bit controlling. I didn't like it when he would hang out with his friends and spend time away from me. I felt like if he really loved me, he should be with me all the time and only want to spend time with me, which you can imagine went over really well. Um, and I was maybe a little to the argumentative side, just a little, maybe a little bit. Um, I would, what? What did you just do? No, I, I saw it on the side of my eye that his hand was moving. Um, but I had this knack of picking arguments and making big or small things into really big things. And I've seen God change me a lot. And marriage is not the reason why I had those things in there. Those things were already in there, and marriage brought it out of me. And God has used our marriage to be able to refine me and for God to be able to do really a deep healing work. Um, but what I'll tell you this, I wish that I could have a honeymoon do-over. If I could look at the course for marriage, I just want a honeymoon do-over, and I want the love and contentment that I have with this man right here now after 18 years of marriage. I want to be back in Hawaii with my 24-year-old energy and my 24-year-old body. That's what I want. Is that, that's fair. That would be fun. That's I fair. mean, seriously, though, it would be really cool because we know each other so much better now. Like, we do. When we went on our honeymoon, we were still getting to know each other. Yep. And the level of depth and contentment and yep. fulfillment that we have now, I think, would make that trip just so much more rewarding and enjoyable. Instead of arguing in our hotel room on Waikiki Beach in Honolulu, we would actually be enjoying our time together. That actually happened, in case it you did. were wondering. It did. It was sad. Um, the but beach it, was beautiful, though. You guys, it's really hard for me to even put into words the level and depth of contentment and fulfillment that we have in our marriage. The level of intimacy in every sense of that word, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, is so much deeper and richer now than it's ever been, especially in the last three years of our marriage. God has just done such a deep work, and it's something I thank God for every single day because I can remember times, as you've already alluded to, in our marriage where it was not that way. And we've weathered some really, really rough seasons in our life and in our marriage, and what we have now was hard fought for. So let me just speak to the marriages really quick. If you're in a season of difficulty and hardship and you're not sure if you're going to make it, keep fighting because it's worth it. God can do amazing things through hearts that are submitted to him when he is on the throne of your hearts. Don't stop fighting. But God has used this woman right here in my life to strengthen me and to sharpen me. I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for your voice and influence in my life. And I believe, we believe, that's really one of the purposes of marriage is to use, God uses each person in the marriage relationship to sharpen and strengthen each other. I told him this last service, but I'm pretty sure he just called me a tool. I just have to say that. But a but very I'm, sexy but, tool. Okay. All right. Very sexy. I just wanted to hear it again. Just kidding. Just kidding. I like to embarrass her. I was already sweating a little bit in those. That makes me sweat a little bit more. Okay. I've got this question for you, church. What if God created marriage to make us holy more than he did to make us happy. Come on, say that again. I want to say it again, yep. What if God created marriage to make us holy more than he did to make us That's happy? Cool. Yeah. 
our culture has hijacked this, this idea that like we should be happy and they've perpetuated this belief and it's even made its way through the church that like the goal of life is that we need to be happy, we need to be fulfilled. If your spouse isn't fulfilling all of your needs and it's just time to leave and to move on, nope. What if that was not the goal that God intended when he created marriage? Mm. What if marriage was meant to make us holy more than it was to make us happy? And, you know, I think it's true, especially and even in the church, that marriage has kind of become an idol for some of us, right? Uh, When we're single, it's this goal that we want to reach. It's like the goal of life. Like, oh, if I make it to get married, I just want to have a couple kids. There's nothing wrong with that. God has placed a desire in us to be loved and to be a part of a marriage uh, covenant. That is a godly desire, but it's not the goal of life. There are some of us that for a reason and for a season, God will call us out of singleness into marriage for a purpose. And that's what I want you to sit with today is that God has called you, if you are married, he has called you into that season of marital covenant for a purpose. And so today, as we talk about what it looks like for Jesus to be the king of our hearts, and as we realize that God has created marriage to make us holy and not just happy, I want us to look at three things that we should strive for in our marriages as we continue to keep Jesus as king of our hearts. So the first thing that we want to share with you today is that we should be striving to love unconditionally like Jesus. Jesus, our king, gave us a commandment in John thirteen thirty four, and it says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Guys, it doesn't say how I love you as your friend. It says how Jesus loves us. So how Jesus has loved you, that's how we're supposed to love one another. And it doesn't even, it's not even a suggestion. It says, so you must love one another. So we're to love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us. And that does include our spouse. So the question we need to ask then is, how did Jesus love us? Well, what I can tell you is this. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he also laid down his life for us. He exemplified what it was to love selflessly. Which can be a problem for a lot of us because whether we vocalize this or not, a lot of us come into marriage with this mindset thinking, oh, now that I'm married, my spouse will serve me. And I'll have all my needs met. But that's not how Jesus came for his bride. Jesus came not to be served by his bride, but to serve his bride and to give his life as a ransom for her. And that's how we are called to love one another and our spouses. There's just one problem with this very high calling and command from Jesus. The problem is I'm not Jesus. Well, you're pretty close. Not even close. Every day I'm becoming more like him through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. But Here's the thing, you guys, like I have a tendency, as I think most of us probably do, to be a little bit selfish. We, we put our own needs and wants and preferences and desires before our spouses, and I don't always feel very full of the Holy Spirit. And so how do we remedy that? For a people who are, by our nature, selfish, how do we love unconditionally like Jesus has? Three quick thoughts that I want to share with you that will help us walk this out. The first is that we need to recognize that it is his love in us that enables us to love unconditionally like Jesus. We don't possess the kind of agape, sacrificial love in our own strength to do this. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that it's God's love that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's God's love that's been given to us. 
So we have to first recognize that it's only by and through his love in us can we love unconditionally like Jesus. Number two, we have to then be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. And the verb tense that he chose when he wrote down that verse in Greek is the present imperative tense, which means it is an ongoing state of being filled. So another way to translate Ephesians 5.18 would be keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Question, why do we need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know about you, but I leak. Like, I go through things in life when I have an argument with my spouse or when my kids annoy me or when, you know, you have a hard day at work or a really mean boss or a really irritating coworker. Or we get bumped and things spill out and we wind up going through things that wind up kind of depleting us, which is why it is so important for every believer to start every single day in his word and in his presence. Because I need the bread of life to sustain me and I need his spirit to fill me every single day. And then the third thing we have to do is to daily decide to kind of put to death our own wants and selfish desires. This is not just a call for people in marriage. This is really the call for every believer and follower in Jesus. Because Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, whoever, not just married people, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, not just once when they make the decision that, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. No, take up their cross daily and follow me. Which means every single day when you and I wake up, we have a choice to make. Who am I going to live for? Am I going to live for him? Or am I going to live for myself? Am I going to follow his ways? Or am I going to follow wherever my selfish desires lead me? If Jesus is the king of your heart, then he said we must be willing to pick up our cross, which is an instrument of death, every single day and follow him. And that is what will enable us to love our spouse unconditionally like Jesus does. By recognizing it's first his love in us, by asking the Holy Spirit to fill us every single day, and by daily putting to death our selfish wants and desires. And I've got to say, Kelly, that you have so beautifully modeled this for me even in our own marriage, especially in the early years of our marriage. Those of you guys that have been in the church for a number of years have heard um, our story and my testimony. And for the benefit and sake of those of you who have just joined the church within the last couple of years and have not heard this part of our story, what you need to know about me is that I brought a 20-year addiction to pornography into our marriage. I'm not proud to admit that, but that is part of my story. And she discovered it a few months before we got married and almost threatened to call off the marriage because of it. But I promised her that it would never happen again. I promised her I was willing to do whatever it took to get victory over this area of my life, and she believed me. And that was my genuine desire. But just like any addiction, you know, you can have the best intentions in the world, but an addiction just has a stronghold in your life. And a few weeks after I made that promise, I was looking at it again. And despite the fact that she would regularly check in on me and ask me how things were going, I would lie to her and tell her that, no, I'm doing fine, even though I was regularly continuing to look at it. And I continued to lie to her for a year and a half into our marriage before I was deeply convicted by the Holy Spirit for being dishonest with my wife. And I was in a, a small group with a group of men that was focused on purity, and I was challenged by one of the guys in the group to come clean and confess to my wife. 
probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. But the aftermath of that very difficult and hard conversation where I watched, I watched your, your face and your heart just break at the betrayal and the deep hurt of feeling like you weren't enough for me. Why would I have to go to those images when I had you? And But the way that you demonstrated the unconditional love of God towards me by realizing that I don't, I don't have it in me and my own strength. Like, God, I need your love. Holy Spirit, fill me. And I'm going to put to death my desire to get even with you, to be angry with you, to be bitter with you. And you model this unconditional love and forgiveness to me in a way that it was one of the things that God used in my life to bring about victory. And now here we are. It took another year and a half later, but we're going on almost 15 years of sobriety where I've been walking in victory in this area of my life because you demonstrated the unconditional love of Jesus to me. So thank you. It has been a joy. I want you to know it is a joy to be able, when we can forge through difficult things and allow the Holy Spirit to just have his work be done in us, in both of us. There is beauty in that, and it is the joy of my life to be able to see redemption and um, healing taking place in your life, in my life. Like, it's a beautiful thing, and marriage is one of the vehicles that God will use uh, to be able to see healing like this take place. Um, you know, Pete mentioned that there was an accountability group that he was a part of. He was part of a really great community uh, when he was in the middle of all of that, and he chose to not do life alone. And I just want to encourage all of our married couples out there, get connected to other married couples. It is important to stay closely connected for the accountability, for the community, for growing, uh, staying rooted in your faith. And we actually do have our XO Marriage Conference coming up. So for all of our married couples that are here today, actually, if you're even dating or maybe you're engaged, it might not be a bad idea for you guys to attend as well. Um, so there was an invite on your car, on your seat when you came in, um, EXO Marriage Conference. It's happening on uh, March 8th and 9th, and you can sign up. We still have the early bird special going. It's $60 a couple. Early bird uh, special ends on Valentine's Day. And on Valentine's Day, we're actually going to be drawing a name to be able to give um, free admission uh, to one of our Life Church couples here. So we have a QR code that's going to be up on the screen here in a second. If you want to take out your phone really quickly and just scan that QR code, uh, you can enter your name and your email address, and that'll put you into a drawing for free admission to the XO conference. We would love to see you there, and we trust that that's going to be one step in helping you guys get connected to community because it really is so important. Yeah, be intentional about investing in your marriage. So just as a reminder, the QR code on the card is for registration. The QR code on the screen is to enter into that drawing to win a free admission to uh, the EXO conference. So when Jesus is the king of your heart, we will love unconditionally like Jesus. Number two, we will trust implicitly like Hosea. Hosea. For those of you that know the story of Hosea, he married a woman named Gomer. Isn't that a great name? I think we should bring back some Bible names. If your name is Gomer here today, it's a beautiful name. It's just a very unique one. Uh, but Hosea and Gomer, uh, it's a perplexing story that we see in the Old Testament. And God told Hosea to marry a woman who was a harlot or a prostitute. And he knew that that woman would not be faithful to Hosea. He knew that. But the purpose of this marriage God was asking Hosea to do this because God was trying to paint a picture to the Israelites, who were God's people, 
that they, like Gomer, were unfaithful. But God wanted to show them that he, like Hosea, would remain faithful to them. So it was this beautiful picture that God was trying to paint. And as we read through the story, something really stuck out to me when Pete and I were processing it. And that is that Hosea traded in the opportunity for personal fulfillment for the purposes of God. Married people, I want you to hear that. Even singles, let that sink in. Hosea traded in the opportunity for personal fulfillment for the purposes of God. In other words, he said, you know, I could just choose to marry somebody who I know um, maybe wouldn't be unfaithful to me and then actually enjoy my marriage. And instead of that, he said, no, 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 God, you've got a greater purpose. Yeah, I'll, I'll play a role in the bigger picture and the purpose that you have. And there, there's something significant to that. And I think that there's something that all of us can learn from that as well. So when Hosea heard from the Lord, he listened. So he had ears to hear God. So Hosea listened to the Lord. He obeyed what God said. He didn't only hear what God had offered, like, hey, I want you to marry this woman. Hosea was like, okay, I'm in. And then Hosea trusted and actually walked it out. So I think that there's a lot that we can probably learn from Hosea in that. And this was a shocking ask for the Lord to ask Hosea to do this. But the picture that it paints is a beautiful one. That our God is faithful, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. Yeah, and we see the heart of God and the purpose for God revealed in this crazy ask uh, in Hosea chapter 2. That Israel, which was represented by Gomer in the marriage, uh, who had been unfaithful, they had broken their covenant with God, they had worshipped other gods, and I want you to hear the heart of God towards his people who had been unfaithful to him in Hosea chapter 2 verse 14 he says therefore I am now going to allure her I'm going to woo her back to myself her being Israel I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her verse 16 in that day declares the Lord you will call me my husband you'll no longer call me my master I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. And then he says in verse 23, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. And you'll notice that's in parentheses because that is the meaning of the name that was given to Gomer's first illegitimate child. After she left Hosea and was unfaithful to him, she became pregnant by another man. And the child that was named from that infidelity was the meaning of the name was not my loved one. And God says, I will show my love to the one called not my loved one. And I will say to those called not my people, and that's the meaning of the name given to Gomer's second illegitimate child. I'll say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. Do you hear the heart of God for his people who had been unfaithful to him, that he wanted to restore this intimate covenant relationship he had with them? That's what God was trying to communicate to Israel through Hosea's very unconventional marriage to Gomer. And Hosea implicitly trusted God's purposes and God's plan, even in his pain. The question I want to submit to you guys today and ask you to consider is, are we willing to let God use our pain to help other people see God's faithfulness and love? Like, that's a very difficult question to ponder and to honestly answer. 
Like, do we trust that his love will sustain us in seasons of sorrow and that he will accomplish his purposes even in and through our pain? Now, I want to give a quick disclaimer here because I don't, we don't want you to think that by us using this example of Hosea and Gomer, that anybody who's in a marriage where the spouse has been unfaithful, that you have to stay like Hosea did. That's not what we are saying at all. There are some things in Scripture that are descriptive and some things that are prescriptive. Prescriptive being things that God has spoken to us that are prescribed for our lives, that we are to walk out and and obey. There are other things in Scripture that are descriptive, where God is just explaining to us through the author of what was happening and taking place at that time. And it's not necessarily prescriptive for us. And this is an example of that. This was something that God had spoken to Hosea to do, to paint this picture to Israel. But this is not something that every person who's in a marriage to someone who has an unfaithful spouse has to stay. In fact, Jesus himself said that except for adultery, a man should not divorce his wife. So adultery and infidelity is actually one of the things that, that the Bible gives as an allowance for divorce. So I just wanted to make that clear. I would say this, though. Don't assume that if there has been infidelity that you would just automatically rush to divorce. Because I believe God's heart is always for restoration and reconciliation first. If the spouse who has betrayed the covenant is repentant and comes to the table and asks for forgiveness, and if the one who has been betrayed is willing to offer forgiveness, and they together work on the very long and and difficult process of rebuilding and restoring trust, to me that is an example and an opportunity for God to showcase his heart for restoration. So I wanted to make that clear that not everyone who's in a situation where there's been infidelity has to stay like Hosea did, but don't rush to divorce as your only option either. So good. Yeah, Ephesians 5 actually reminds us that marriage has the potential to be a reflection of how Christ loved the church, and that's a great example of that. So Christ is our standard. The way that he has loved us, that's the standard. And we have the opportunity to showcase that in our marriage and how they play out. And so, um, you know, as we consider the story of Hosea and Gomer, just remember that God is, he is painting a picture with the story of your life, and people are watching. You've got kids that are watching, family members that are watching, neighbors that are watching. That's not putting pressure on you. That's reminding you of the opportunity that you have to allow your marriage to reflect the same love that Christ has for his church. We have this incredible opportunity there. You know, I remember this um, time when I was a teenager, and I had prayed this prayer walking home one day from school, and I asked the Lord, would you allow me to be somebody's second chance? That was kind of the nutshell of the conversation. God, would you allow me to be somebody's second chance? I had no idea that several years later, the Lord would bring Peter into my life, and I'd be presented with the opportunity to really live out a love story that was full of redemption and second chances. There's been so much beauty. There's more to that story, but What I didn't know was how difficult it was going to be to actually walk it out. I wonder how difficult it was some days for Hosea when he was like, I said yes to this. Okay, God, I trust you, but I said yes to this, but it's hard. I had some of those days too early on in our marriage. Pete just shared a little bit of some of the struggles that he dealt with, and I had things of my own that I was struggling with, and 
walking out what it looked like to be somebody's second chance, I had to sort through all of my expectations and my fears and my projections of what I thought that that should look like. And I had to fight against holding Pete's past against him. That's ugly stuff. Like that's ugly parts of my heart that I'm not proud of. But I had to be intentional about letting the Holy Spirit work in me to not hold his past against him. And it took probably the better part of 10 years For me to really settle into embracing the purpose uh, for our marriage, like the bigger, the the grander scheme uh, that God was working in our marriage. Because at around that 10-year mark, I remember the day that we had a really uh, intense conversation that went into the wee hours of the morning. And it was very apparent that God was really forging healing in us. He was completing some redemption that was there. He was healing us and he was showing us this unconditional love of his son to each of us through one another. And so it took the better part of 10 years, though, to get to that point. And what we've realized over these years here is that when we trust God's plan for our marriage, we can find purpose for our marriage. If our goal is not just to be happy and to be satisfied, but rather a bigger purpose, it actually gives us something extra to fight for, doesn't it? And so there has been some purpose that we've discovered along the way that has really transformed the way that we've lived out our marriage. Okay, so we've talked about loving unconditionally like Jesus. We've talked about trusting implicitly like Hosea. We also want to encourage everybody to live missionally like Priscilla and Aquila. Guys, I love these Bible names. I'm sure there's nobody here today whose name is Aquila. Aquila, anybody? No? You can laugh a little. It's okay. I'm laughing inside. All right. This New Testament couple was named six times in the Bible. And every time that they were named, their names are actually mentioned together, which means that they were on mission together. They were doing life together. They were actively engaged in the, in the New Testament church and the spreading of the gospel and all of the work of the early church. It's really beautiful. Yeah, just as we get ready to wrap up this last point, a couple things that we wanted to share with you about Priscilla and Aquila so that it can kind of connect to your story is that Acts 18 tells us that they were ordinary people, like they were tent makers by trade. These were not vocational ministers. They were not professional pastors. They had a job. They had responsibilities. They had to go to work. They had to pay bills. And so, you know, they were ordinary people just like you and, and me, and they were courageously committed to the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 16 that he says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all of the Gentile churches. See, what we know about Paul is that he was called by Jesus to take the gospel to all of the Gentiles, to spread the gospel and the message of Jesus and travel all over the known world, evangelizing, preaching, planting churches. And by doing that, he got himself into some trouble more than once. His life was threatened on numerous occasions because of his boldness in declaring the message of Jesus. And Priscilla and Aquila were so committed to the cause of Christ and to the gospel message that they literally risked their lives to help Paul do what he was called to do. That can be any one of us. How committed are we to the cause of Christ and to the gospel? Yeah, and they were also committed to the cause of Christ by discipling people. 
We read about this in Acts 18, verses 24 through 26. Uh, This is what it reads. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and accuracy. However, he only knew about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. I love this picture of this couple that has experienced Apollo's teaching but cares so deeply about people having a deep and thorough understanding of the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. That he says, they said, you know what, let's just go a little deeper. I'm going to explain a couple things more. You're doing great. You're enthusiastic. It's accurate. We just want to make sure that you completely understand. And church, we have that same opportunity. As married couples, we can be on mission together, living missionally and helping to disciple people, helping to deepen the understanding of Jesus and who he is. Um, They were also hospitable. We read in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, that Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. They had a church that met in their house. So they were not only discipling, uh, like we saw in Acts over here, but they also had people in their home that they were discipling, and they were teaching, and they'd opened their doors to. And listen, I know that not all of us are going to have a church in our home, and that is okay. Some of you might. But if you don't have a church in your home, it doesn't mean that you can't open up the doors of your home and be hospitable and take discipling seriously. Listen, all of you get to experience Pete and I on Sunday mornings when we're here, and there's hundreds of people here. But what you may or may not know is that we regularly do open our home to people for the purpose of discipling and relationship and doing life together. We've, for the better part of 12 years, have been part of a small group. And that has been a source source of uh, strength for us, a source of accountability. We've been participating in helping to disciple people, even one-on-one. And that is something that all of you can do as well. These These were ordinary people that lived on mission. You know, I remember at the end of Pizza My Wedding Reception 18 years ago, the night was just about wrapping up, and one of the guests that we had invited asked if he could speak to Pete and I privately, and we are like, yeah, absolutely. And he shared with us, he just said, guys, I just felt like the Lord uh, gave me a word for you, and I wanted to share it with you. And it was the end of our wedding reception, and he said, um, today during your wedding ceremony, the Lord spoke to me that there was a greater purpose that he's bringing you together for. And you don't even fully understand it, but in about six-ish months, you will. And guys, six months later, Life Church was planted. We had no idea, we had no idea that that was part of what God was writing. But when I sit here 18 years later, this is what I realize. At the very inception of a marriage, God had a purpose. And it has nothing to do with me or with him or with us. He said, no, 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 I have a need. And there's a bigger, bigger plan, bigger purpose that I'm going to need to accomplish. And so, okay, I've got a marriage over here. Okay, good. This is the purpose for that marriage. Thank God that in the moments of our marriage, when things were less than satisfying, less than happy, and less than fulfilling, neither of us ran to the door to walk out. Guys, I want to remind you that there is a greater purpose that God has called you together for. Maybe you're here today and you came in today and you're in that season of your marriage, maybe where things have been difficult. And maybe as a married couple, you've actually asked the question, I probably got it wrong. I just married the wrong person. No, you didn't. I want to tell you, God has a purpose for your marriage. 
in the weeks leading up to today, as we've been praying and preparing for today, I've been sharing with Pete that I've had this word that has not let me go, that I knew that I wanted to share with every married couple that would be in attendance this morning. And I want to share it with you as well. The word is consecration. I know we've heard about consecration during our days of prayer and fasting that we just did in January. And I was like, Lord, I know that was January. It was prayer and fasting. He was like, Kelly, I'm not done with consecration yet. I was like, okay, Lord, so what, what is it? And this is what he spoke to me. He spoke to me, Joshua 3.5, which is the verse that Pete used during the fast. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. When Joshua spoke this to the Israelites, they were getting ready to cross the Jordan River to obtain the promised land. They were going to take over the promised land, finally entering into the promise that God had forecasted so long ago. That's what was ahead of them. But what was behind them was 40 years in the wilderness. In the wilderness, the Israelites experienced a lot of things. Hard things, grumbling, complaining. They also experienced some miraculous things. They saw some miracles. It was a bunch of highs and lows but it was a difficult season, all without reach of the promise. I can imagine that some of them are pretty weary. But then here they are, Joshua getting ready to take them into the promised land. And the Lord is offering them this opportunity to consecrate themselves, set themselves apart. The word consecrate is to set apart for a specific use or purpose. So if we consecrate ourselves apart, so setting ourselves apart, consecrate ourselves for a specific use or purpose, the Lord can do amazing things among us. And this is what I want you to know. If that's you here today, if you said, you know, I've been in a wilderness season in my marriage. It has not been super fulfilling. It's been difficult. We've definitely had some highs, but there's been an equal amount, if not more lows than that. It's been weary. I've been weary. I've been tired. It's been difficult. If that's you, I want to challenge you this morning. If you will consecrate your, yourself and your marriage to the Lord, he will do amazing things. I know that he is able to restore marriages. He's able to do more than what we can even imagine with our mess and our brokenness. I know that today here there are people that I don't know what you brought in, but I know that the Lord has good plans for you. He's got a purpose for you. And when I say that we set ourselves aside for the Lord's purpose, his purpose doesn't always match our ask. I want you to know that. But somewhere in between the setting aside of ourselves to consecrate ourselves for the Lord's purpose and fulfillment, there is this beautiful work that God does in us where we're able to surrender all of it because he's king of our hearts, right? As king of our hearts, we have the grace to be able to surrender to the Lord Lord, I surrender to you everything about my life. It's my life for your purpose, not the other way around. And so we're able to see God do amazing things. So church, I want to pray for you this morning. Whether you're married or you're single, if you've been in a season of wilderness, I believe that the, the word from the Lord this morning is to consecrate yourself. Set yourself aside and apart for his purposes because he wants to do amazing things in you. Lord, this morning, in your presence here. God, we firstly want to just say that we want you to be the king of our hearts. Lord, the first step in putting you as king of our heart is acknowledging that there might be things on the throne of our hearts that really shouldn't be there. And so right now in this moment, I want to encourage each one of you in this moment 
God, we acknowledge and we repent for the things that have been on the seat of our heart that don't belong there. They've been in your spot. And God, right now, we ask that you would take your rightful position as king of our hearts. God, we want to be focused on your purposes. We want to be able to give our lives for your purposes, for your kingdom. And so, God, I just ask that right now, for anybody that's in this place that has been in a season, a wilderness season, if that's you today and you've been in a wilderness season, maybe in your marriage, even personally, it's been a weary and a dry season, a hard season, would you raise your hand while heads are bowed and eyes are closed? Just that way I can pray for you today. If that's you this morning, as there's hands up everywhere, Lord, we just pray right now that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would do amazing things as your people would consecrate themselves to you, as they set themselves apart for you, would you do amazing things? God, right now, we just ask for hope to fill marriages right now and to fill hearts. God, I pray for grace to love unconditionally like Jesus. God, I pray for faith to be able to trust implicitly like Hosea did. God, I ask for determination to be able to live missionally like Priscilla and Aquila did. God, I ask that you would show up in powerful ways. That you would do the amazing thing. Lord, I pray that you would solidify purpose in marriages today. Would you strengthen marriages? Let the marriages that are present here today be a reflection of the love of Jesus to the world around them. And God, would you strengthen them? Would you heal them? Showcase your redemption through their story. Lord, I just thank you that um, you don't expect us to do any of these things absent from or apart from your Holy Spirit. So Lord, right now I pray that you would by your Holy Spirit empower every single one of your people today to choose as, as we just pray to place you on the throne of our hearts. Lord, you are our King. And as we do that, Lord, would your Holy Spirit help us to love unconditionally like Jesus has loved us, to trust you implicitly even when it doesn't make sense, and even when there's pain, to trust you that your purposes would be accomplished through us, God. And that we would live missionally, not focusing on our own pleasure and our own fulfillment, but focusing on your kingdom purposes to be accomplished through our marriage. And God, we thank you in advance for the testimonies of the amazing things that you're going to do in the marriages represented here today. As we have made the decision right here, right now, to consecrate ourselves to you, to set ourselves apart for you to work in us and through us. God, we thank you for the amazing things that you're going to do, the miracles, the Lord, the testimonies of marriages that were brought back from the brink of divorce are right now being restored in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for that. Lord, as we get ready to leave this place, would we do so different than when we came in? Would we be encouraged and filled with hope to live for a purpose greater than our own? In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen and amen. Church, were you guys encouraged by this today? Kelly, thank you. 
as our dream team members get into position to serve you with excellence on your way out in just a moment, I just wanted to share one thing. You know, if you're here today and you heard that quote at the beginning that the king of your heart determines the course of your life, if your life is headed in a direction that is different than where Jesus wants it because you've never made the decision to place your faith in Jesus and to surrender to his lordship in your life, then before you leave today, would you head to one of the four corners of the room where one of our uh, Next Step team members would love to have a conversation conversation with you about what it means to place Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life through trusting in him to forgive you of all of your sins. We would love to have that conversation with you. So the rest of you, don't forget to register for the EXO Marriage Conference. I hope you have a great week. Have an awesome uh, Valentine's Day this week, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless.